0: Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm your host, Chris Flagel, And on this show, we're continuing our God With Us series by hearing stories of how God is with another marginalized group, the adopted. Maybe that surprises you to think of the adopted as a marginalized group, but maybe that doesn't. Whatever the case, get ready as we bring frequent guest Kim Ward back to tell her story about being adopted and what God did through that. Let's get started. Kim, it's always a pleasure to have you here
1: on the show with me. Well, oh, thank you for having me back again. So on our last
0: show, we we started a series called "God with Us," where we looked at arguably one of the most wounded and marginalized people groups in our country, and that is that is the uh, the homeless. And the point of it was to show that. Even though they're probably the most wounded among us, God is still working among them so that we could have hope. If he's working among them to heal them, then he's doing the same with us. And I want to keep that theme going with another group of people who have some pretty serious wounds. And those are people who have been adopted. And you are one of those, Kim. And so you know what I'm talking about. Your story is full of wounds. And I think it also, knowing you, it's also full of hope. Once again, I hope your story helps us understand how God is working among us, with us, to heal all of us. So will you tell a little bit about your story and the wounds you've endured being adopted?
1: You know, so I was adopted as a baby, and my story really starts, and this is a crazy thing because I didn't learn this part of my story uh, until about three years ago. Mm-hmm. It starts with a, a woman who already had two kids who was separated from her husband, who had people in her life when she found out she was pregnant again who were telling her that she wasn't enough, that she wasn't good enough to raise this new baby, that, you know, that she would fail. And because she was alone and she was scared, she believed them. And so this woman that was friends with her, who was the one who was telling her that... <laughs> uh you know, she wouldn't be able to raise me, also was telling her, hey, I know this great couple at this church I go to who've been trying to adopt and have kind of given up because they've been trying for a few years and everything has not worked out for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're well off and they're a good Christian, stable family. And, you know, so she connected my my birth mother with my adoptive parents. And then because of everything that she, was, my birth mother was going through, she hid her pregnancy. The only person she told was that one friend. She didn't tell my, I have a younger, or older half-brother and sister who didn't know. I have grandparents who don't know I exist still. I also have a younger sister who still doesn't know I exist. And <laughs> through a fluke of paperwork, the paperwork wasn't filled out, so I spent my very first day on this earth completely alone because my mom didn't want to see me because she was afraid she would change her mind. And my adoptive parents weren't allowed to touch me until that paperwork came through. So uh, growing up, all I knew was that my mom couldn't afford to keep me. So the very first message I received was I was too much work. I was too much effort. I wasn't worth fighting to keep, which is a message that's pretty common for those in the adoptive community because in order to gain your adoptive family, you have to first lose your birth family. And that's the story over and over and over again. Something had to die so that your new family could exist. Something had to fall apart. And, you know, growing up in a Christian household, growing up going to church, if you heard adoption talked about, it was always only in terms of kind of rainbows and unicorns and isn't this a beautiful thing? And pretty much if you said something even that could even be considered remotely negative, it was shut down immediately. You know, I just remember growing up, on the one hand, hearing how beautiful adoption was and how special it made me. And I was like, uh, could I not be? I would pay anything to not be special like this. And at the same time, birthdays and Christmases and the holidays would come around and there would be the sense of loss in my heart that I didn't know how to explain or describe. And the few times that I remember trying the responses I got were, you should just be grateful you weren't aborted. You should just be grateful in general. Don't you know that you saying that you feel like this could hurt your parent, your adoptive parents? So the message I received was that there was something wrong with me because of the way I was feeling. So I started lying to myself and saying that I was fine with my adoption and that it didn't matter, you know. It didn't matter that every time someone would say something like, oh, I'm part German or I'm part French or I'm part Native American or whatever, I had no idea what I was. You know, it was like I, poof, appeared out of thin air with no history. All these things everyone else around me was taking for granted. And I, I lacked all of it. And
0: what did that do, like, not knowing your your lineage? <laughs>
1: And it's the title of a book I love. It's the only alien on the planet feeling. It's, well, I can't connect with all these other people. You know, I'm too different. You know, I have this entire thing inside of me that says, I'm lacking these basic things that everyone else seems to have. So there must be something wrong with me. That I'm I'm missing these basic components of, of life. And that is that is the hard part. You know, they're doing more and more studies showing how important genetic mirroring is. What is that? Genetic mirroring means literally growing up with people who look similar to you. So you can see things like, oh, you have your mother's eyes, or you have your mom's body shape, or your dad's nose, or his ears, or whatever. All of those basic things, along with the genetic heritage, all that stuff, is all stuff that adoptees don't get. And there's been more and more studies showing how important that is for um, a mental and emotional stability with within the kids. You know, but at the same time, I'm growing up in church where none of this is talked about, where you're just, you know, if you try to bring up any of it or say, I'm struggling with this or I miss my mom, your story is getting denied or glossed over to the point where you stop sharing and you start pretending everything is fine and you even tell yourself everything is fine. To the point where I remember I was with at Youth With A Mission. We're on outreach. We're in Puerto Rico. And um, one of the leader and training students uh, had two younger siblings who were both adopted um, from, I think, Dominican Republic, actually. And she was asking me all these questions, like, well, how do you feel about adoption? How, Like, how has it impacted you? Did it impact you? And I lied to her. Mm. I told her that I was fine. That because I was adopted as a baby, that it didn't have an impact on me. Because that was what I was told I was supposed to say. But it wasn't true, as you know, because we've <laughs> had these conversations. And I remember just wrestling with it and sitting on the side of the hill, looking at these, this absolutely beautiful country And just bawling my eyes out because I did not feel like I could share that Mm -hmm. with anyone, especially not with anyone in the church, which is the people I was surrounded with. I love people in the church. I love the body of Christ. Don't get me wrong. Please don't hear me saying this stuff and think that I don't. But that was a very hard thing to grow up in the church and have my story and the feelings I was going through being denied on a regular basis. So
0: I hear so far... (laughs) From an early age, you felt like you were a burden. You felt disconnected and isolated where other people had stories of lineage. You had no way of connecting. And you felt like you were not understood and couldn't be understood, especially in the church. How how did all of that affect your perception of how God saw you?
1: Honestly, I kept going, God, you made a mistake. You had to have. Like, why did you bother?
0: Why did you bother?
1: Why did you bother creating me? Why did you bother, you know, putting me here on this earth? And for all those people who kept going, well, aren't you glad you weren't just aborted? I was like, no. <laughs> the amount of pain I was in, I would have happily traded going straight to heaven <laughs> mm. for not having to had deal with that. And kind of, it got to the point where I was like, I know you exist, and I know you say you love me, but... He seemed very distant and uninvolved. And I, I had a really big struggle with, with knowing he was good. And it seemed it felt like he was powerless.
0: So it's one of the two, right? He's either...
1: He was either good, but powerless. Or he was powerful, but not good. And, you know, it, it didn't seem like he cared. Because I, you know, it, it would have been hard enough. The adoption stuff would have been hard enough. But as anyone who listened to the, any of the previous ones would know, I also wound up in a family where there was a lot of verbal, emotional, and occasionally physical abuse, all while going to church and pretending everything was fine. And I didn't start dealing with my adoption until seven years after I had that conversation with that oh. girl on outreach. Because a dear friend of mine, who I generally blame for half the frustrating conversations I've had within myself... Uh, at least at the time. They're frustrating why? Frustrating because they're things I was trying not to think about, generally. So, okay. So, <laughs> so, so, and it's almost never been intentional, which has been even more fun. On his end? On his end. So this, this guy who's one of my de- dearest friends outside of you, um, I've known him for longer than I've known you, actually literally half my life now.
0: How did the discussion start?
1: Do you remember? We were driving in the car to go pick up fast food for us and the family, okay. and okay. his family, okay. um, so which might out. as well be much might as well be my family. I, I am an honorary auntie to all of those wonderful, amazing, slightly annoying, sometimes kids. <laughs> my younger adopted sister had just reconnected with her birth mother, and her younger half sister. For the first time since she was six and my friend asked me he's like well Kim how do you feel about it how are how are you processing all of that like what's going through your mind is this bringing anything up for you and I gave my standard oh no I'm fine everything's good answer but then it wouldn't leave my head like my brain was like okay we're dealing with this you don't get a choice now You know, because it's a nine, you know, I like to keep my inner. Enneagram Enneagram nine. I like to keep my inner and outer peace pretty much at any cost. And the funny thing about pain is it kind of tends to mess with your peace. And I started not being able to ignore how and how much pain I was actually in from my adoption. Mm -hmm. And of course, (laughs) in typical fashion for me, I'm like, okay, well. I now need to research this. I need some sort of way of putting this in perspective. Because I don't have a handle and I don't have a grasp and I don't even know what words to use to describe what's going on inside me because I've spent so long being told that what's going on inside me is like a flaw. And so I went online and I started researching. and. Going through blogs, and I looked at phew, probably at least twenty plus blogs, and out of all of those blogs, I only found one blog that was both honest and coming from a Christian perspective. And this this blog, uh, it's Adoptee Restoration. Uh, is this woman who's adopted? She's a pastor. Has been a pastor for more than t- at the time she written the blog was had been a pastor for twenty eight years. Huh. Was fully involved in ministry, fully involved in both the adoptee community and the church community, and was seeking to bring the two together and to bring restoration back. I mean, that's why she named her blog what she did, because the statistics for adoptees in the church are horrible.
0: What do you mean? Like, what
1: are the statistics? So statistics in this case mean, I think it's something more than 70% of all adoptees raised in the church leave and want nothing to do with God and nothing to do with the church. That's one. The adoptee suicide rate is four times higher.
0: Did you relate to any of those?
1: Oh, yeah, I did. I struggled with depression and with suicidal ideation, uh, especially as a teenager and in my early 20s, and to be honest, (laughs) even occasionally later. And there was just this disconnect where they were talking about how out of 50 states... 44 states out of 50, we do not have access to our real birth certificates. So there's a human rights issue. And you see these, this disconnect because what we found to be true, and I, I'm still involved on blogs today and on social media. I don't post. I just watch other people post because <laughs> you know, I'm blowing my comfort right out of the water here. But um, that was just too much drama for me. People who are fighting against us getting our birth certificates, who are fighting against reform and adoption, most often now, and it breaks my heart to say it, most people still fighting against are people within the church. And it breaks my heart to go to the people who should be championing the rights uh, of people to have access to their real birth certificate, who should be, you know, fighting for us or fighting against us. And it... uh, it's even worse online because, you know, people take their filters off. And I've seen some incredibly hurtful things posted to people who are just sharing their story of how adoption has affected them. And, you know, they're like, well, do you think adoption should never exist? No, sometimes adoption is necessary. But what we're saying is that adoption, and remind you, this was statistics from nine years ago, is a $13 billion a year industry. This is from the United Nations Commission of Human Rights in 2003. Regrettably, in many cases, the emphasis has changed from the desire to provide a needy child with a home to that of providing a needy parent with a child. As a result, the whole industry has grown, generating millions of dollars of revenue each year. And it's not that we're saying adoption is never necessary, obviously. Sometimes it is. But I have noticed within the church, since I am still involved, that it's become adoption is the first solution. So what's the f- the first needs to be family preservation, if it's possible, either with the parents stepping up, or maybe a family member stepping up somewhere where the the child is no not losing. You know, their heritage, their family, the genetic mirroring, all the stuff that um, studies are showing are so important.
0: How can the church step in to help with that say like in your situation, it doesn't sound like your mom was a part of a church community?
1: That is definitely one of the bigger struggles. Um, I know there are adoption there are agencies like Saving Our Sisters, where if someone is in need in an area, they connect them with people who can help them with resources, mm. and that that is where the trick lies. It feels easier to people to say, "Oh, well, I, you know, we can't have a child." So you know, well, this mom can't afford to keep her child, so you know, we can afford to raise them and pay thirty to fifty thousand dollars <laughs> to adopt. And, you know, I'm not bashing anyone who's already adopted a kid. That's not my heart. I know plenty of adoptive parents, and I don't think that that would ever be their heart. But it's it's that mind switch. What if instead of saying, let me help by causing trauma, because that's what adoption causes is trauma, for both the birth mother and the child, and causes wounds that, you know, the doctor Adopted kid that has to process for the rest, you know, process and grow and heal through the rest of their life, what if instead of that, what if we step forward and said instead of saying, have you considered adoption, how can I help? What can we do to support you? Uh, on the blogs, I think someone did a poll um, among birth mothers and more than 80% of them said that if they had had the support, they never would have given their child up. Whether that's financial or emotional or just someone being there who says, oh, sure, I'd be willing to watch your kid, you know, so you can go work or so you can take classes. A lot of the times, if they had just had that support system in place, they never would have given up their kid in the first place.
0: Hmm. So what I hear you saying is where the church can begin to change their thinking is if there are Christ followers within the church who are thinking about adopting, if there's some kind of communication with the church and the perspective of adopt, adopting parents to go to, say, someone who is like your mother who is not connected to a church and begin to offer support and help and almost like adopt her. Yeah. And help that person raise their children, become a Christ follower, and even connect that church and those perspective adopting parents into a relationship with her in a way that supports her and becomes family for her and the children.
1: Yeah. And, of course, the foster care system has over 500 million kids who need at least some level of home. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe not permanently. But, you know, if you're saying you, if you're, if your goal you're telling yourself is is to really help kids and not just to fill a gap in your own life then then that that's a good place to start and not everyone's cut out for it. You know, not everyone can take the pain of dealing with kids that you know for sure are coming with wounds and have experienced things that you know, you would hope they would never have to experience. But there's a big need. Yeah. I know you know that because yeah. we've got Family Care Network here, so, in, here in, in our county. county.
0: Yeah, yeah. there's a foster care crisis in our county for sure. Yeah. For you, you talked about your, the pain of this caused you to see God in a certain light. So if we don't see God in the proper light, then where do we go for healing, right? And yeah. usually it's
1: Nothing good. Yeah, right.
0: Like <laughs> if it's not God, it's not good.
1: Was He really good? That that was certainly a big one.
0: If He was, a, if, if He, he was, God of everything, if,
1: yeah. If He's he God of God. everything and He really is sovereign, then that means He allowed what happened, and He didn't stop it. You know, and if if God is sovereign, then obviously He could have. You know, so that that was certainly a big one, <laughs> and of course, seeing Him as distant and uninvolved was certainly. How I experienced him in my early childhood uh, up until what we've talked about before, which was the whole mess with my whole adoptive family falling apart, and all of that mess, which led me to a place of desperation, just all those feelings of worthlessness and not enough i mean i I spent a good portion of my childhood praying that I would die before I grew up, you know so i mean be, I remember being absolutely terrified to grow up and have to do anything on my own. Because I'd been told so many times I was going to fail, mm. that meant I was going to fail taking care of myself, you know. There's it was it was scary to think of being in control of my own life and growing up and dealing with life because, well, it, actually it's an Enneagram 9 thing. We experience life as too much, mm-hmm. and that was precisely my experience. Life was too much. Life was scary. There wasn't too much about life I didn't find terrifying. Unless I didn't think about it. Right.
0: So if you don't face your fear, right, you run from it. Yeah. So what did, What were some of the patterns of behaviors mm-hmm. that you went to to escape and to hide? Because God wasn't, and from your perspective, God wasn't trustworthy, wasn't faithful and good. So what did you go to?
1: I spent a lot of time daydreaming and imagining and sleeping um, or reading anything that would keep my mind busy on anything other than reality, pretty much. I was that kid. I started reading and reading well when I was five. So it wasn't always an escape mechanism, but it got to the point where... So it was safer and easier, and certainly the path of, path of least resistance, because it took the least amount of work, for me to stay in my room, and hide, and read books, and daydream. And, you know, we didn't have Netflix then, <laughs> or shows to stream, so it was mostly my imagination and books, All right. you know, at that point. I'm just old enough for that. <laughs> it's a thing. And and it, it more and more it became sleeping. And more and more it became the fantasy. I'd pretend to have horse farms and I'd pick all the horses out or anything. Yeah, you know, going, Oh, maybe this time, you know, what I'm imagining will will happen and I won't have to deal with reality. You know, and of course, that's when the depression starts setting in because you're not facing anything, and you're bottling everything up inside to keep from dealing with it. And it took me to some pretty scary places where I was praying that I would just walk in front of a bus and get hit and go home and and <laughs> you know, and you you hit those points, and it' was the craziest thing, and that's it was where God showed up was in the middle of that. You know, he brought my friend who has been my friend for half my life now. He brought him and then he brought his wife a year later. And, you know, they started reaching out to me and letting me hang out and you know, showing me love, even though I probably wasn't the easiest person to love at mm-hmm. at times in the middle of all that.
0: Why do you say you weren't the easiest person to
1: love? I was pretty prickly. <laughs> Um, if we weren't talking about horses or music, I didn't really have any other subject matter to go to. Would you say that that was because you got this idea that you
0: didn't have things in common with other people who were talking about their their lineage, where they came from, their family line, things like that, and those kind of conversations made you aware that you were this alien, so you felt... You didn't, you didn't have points of conversation.
1: There was definitely that, and then just a lack of practice. Because of um,
0: all
1: that, or... a lack of practice, just in general, my family, I would say, it would be safe to say, was not the safest people to communicate with um, on a regular basis. It'd, it'd be pretty easy to get into trouble with just little things. Just and when I said I was, yeah, and when I said I was hiding, I meant it. It was, there were quite a few years there with the exception of one or two friends who I went horseback riding with. I had very little, and you know, church activities, I had very little human interaction. Um, because if I did try to go, if I did want to go hang out with a friend, I normally not only had to do my regular chores, but an entire extra list of chores. And sometimes I'd get done with that extra list. Only to find out that there would be even more chores. Mm. And by the time all those were done, normally whichever friend I was supposed to go hang out with um, would have given up waiting and gone and found someone Mm. who was more free to hang out with.
0: And here comes this couple. (laughs) Who,
1: they don't boot me out, even though part of me kept thinking they were going to. I admit, I did do their dishes rather a lot to kind of hopefully uh, make myself less of a burden, but... Uh, that was such a huge fear and I was there a lot it. to be fair <laughs> yeah you know that just was kind of my experience with people at that point was you better <laughs> if you're going to be around a lot you better at least be helping out and not causing more work for them mm, so so in the middle of all this I was seeking God and, you know, um, music has always been one of the places where God could still reach my heart, even despite all the walls that were up. And, you know, that's right when songs like Never Alone by Barlow Girl came out. And uh, the first Cutlass album, Christian you know, band. Christian bands came out with, with lyrics like, Why do you run? Why are you hiding? Don't you know? I just want to be with you. And whew... Even now I can almost cry just Mm -hmm. thinking about it. Singing all these songs about how much God loved me and going, well, this is what your word says. Your word says you love me, but I don't feel like I've ever experienced you. Mm. God, I need you to show up.
0: That's what you were saying?
1: Yeah. I'm like, God, I'm alone. I don't trust people, but I need you.
0: How big was that to be that vulnerable to God. Well,
1: honestly, it was less scary to be vulnerable him to Him than to people, but. <laughs>
0: but I mean, you say that, but what we just talked about was the things you had previously believed about God was that He didn't care.
1: Yeah. And then but if He didn't care, He at least wasn't bothering to respond. <laughs> so, yeah, at least I wasn't verbally getting. the the emotional crud kicked out of me again should i be wrong
0: should
1: you should i be wrong and he didn't really care Mm. when i opened up i wasn't at least going to get some verbal backlash and he showed up (laughs) how well first through through my friend and his wife and then you know we did the mission trip, and you know we've covered some of this before It's okay but um I kept going like, God, whatever you do, I don't want to be a mission. I don't want to do missions. This one week in Mexico was bad enough. Never tell God that. Mm -hmm. Horrible plan. Um, And there had been this couple in the church who had kept saying, Kim, we see that you don't seem to know what you want to do with your life. And we really think you should do youth with a mission and do their discipleship school. And I kept saying no and no and no. I, I can say no. I just... Tend not to do it but I that one I was like no way that's too scary but I came back going like I think I'm supposed to I don't know if this is really God but there was just this thought in my head that wouldn't leave and I came back and my parents sit me down on the couch which is always a terrifying experience with them it's rarely comfy and they go Kim we see you don't know what you want to do with your life and you're 19 and we feel like Maybe if we send you to a school or something, maybe you can kind of get your life on track. And what would you think about maybe doing YWAM, which is Youth with <laughs> a Mission? And I was just like, "Well, I guess that's an answer from God." My first one ever that I actually recognized. Because that was two
0: different two yeah two different uh, groups of people talking about the same thing.
1: Yeah. Well, plus that little nudge in my own head where I was finally willing to consider it. And it was the craziest thing. It was such a God thing. They paid for my outreach, the lecture phase, so the classroom part of it. And I did one fundraiser with this church of about 120 people. And I think I paid, out of $2,200, I think I paid $80 mm. out of pocket. The whole rest of it was covered. And week two was an entire week on how God speaks and hearing God's voice and getting to put it into practice. And for the first time, I got to recognize that that still small voice in my head that I've been hearing that was quoting scripture to me was actually God's voice. And I got to hear him say, I love you. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. And, you know, cue the <laughs> massive amount of tears when I heard that. And I admit, I would, you know, part of me really wanted to believe it. The other part of me was like, this can't possibly be true. You can't really love me like that still feel like you made a mistake, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but that was, that was the start, so then we fast forward to a conversation with the same friend, and that started this process of wrestling with God, where I was having to wrestle with the idea that God allowed, you know, my adoption in the first place, and then he allowed me to be placed in a family where there was more abuse, and... I remember (laughs) I was at my friend's house when he was still a youth pastor in a different church in their backyard and they were so caught up in everything that was going on that they didn't even notice me slip out the back door and I'm sitting there in the backyard in the pitch black leaning against this chain link fence looking up at the stars and going God I am so mad at you right now I don't understand why you would allow this I am in so much pain from everything that has happened and I need you to talk to me because I don't get it and I'm getting near my breaking point and he started talking that's still a small voice and he said I gave you free will and I gave everyone else in your life free will too and yeah I could have stopped this but I gave the people in your life free will and I won't take it away and that means that their free will can hurt you. And your free will can hurt other people. But do you want me to take away your free will so that you can avoid all this pain? And I had to say no. Like, I want to be able to choose God. I want to be able to choose a relationship with Him. And I just remember sitting there crying and bawling my eyes out, but feeling comforted at the same time that mm. He answered. It wasn't necessarily an answer I loved, but He did answer, and He Being very clear, he's like, I'm not going to leave you in this. I'm not going to leave you in this place. You're not going to feel this way forever. Now go back inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) You've been out here long enough. I think it's something that we need to do more often. Sometimes we think God doesn't want to be bothered with our anger or our wrestling.
0: Well, I mean, you said the thing, the big lie that you heard for many years, you were a burden. Yeah. Well, that's where that is, right? A burden is like I can't be bothered with you, right? And so you discovered that that wasn't true of God.
1: Yeah, it's a slow process because part of it is that you're mourning. You're mourning the loss of what was, you know, originally intended to be. God doesn't. If God doesn't make mistakes, that means He doesn't put babies in the wrong womb, which means that there's there's a sense of loss and mourning that comes in, and that is something that is. I have found to be hard for people to understand because there's a difference between being a victim and mourning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's possible to receive healing from God and still have seasons where you mourn that painful loss. And much as I love people, I've had a few friends who go, well, can't you just get over this or I'm done hearing it. And that, and that was pretty hard to take, especially since in at least one case, it was someone who I care for dear deeply and dearly. That is the hardest thing for, I think, that we need to do as Christians is not deny others their pain just because it makes us uncomfortable.
0: Mm. That's called unconditional love, which is sacrifice for others, right? But, you know, speaking of that, the idea, I mean, adoption is in Scripture, right? Mm. That we are adopted into the family of God. Yep. But there is a negative connotation, just like what you're talking about, that that wasn't best-case scenario. Yep. There, was, there was something before the need for the cross. There was two trees in the garden, and a choice was made of free will that created not what was best. And that's to be grieved, right? What I hear yeah. you saying is, right, the cross is a celebration of Jesus' death, but there was grief in that. People grieved. His disciples grieved. He grieved the need for that in the garden. The cross we celebrate, but we also have to understand that this wasn't best case.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: It was what God did for us because of what, in our free will, we chose to do, which was pursue what wasn't best case. And so there is a mourning process yeah. in that. There's a celebration of the crucifixion and resurrection. There's also a celebration of the adoption we have as his children, but there's an understanding and a mourning of what it what that took.
1: Yeah.
0: What why that had to happen.
1: And it's different too. Adoption is mentioned five times in the Bible all in the New Testament, all by Paul, (laughs) Um, and it's all in relation to salvation.
0: And it's also, we have to understand that adoption is different because the adoption that they're talking about in Roman culture, adoption was mainly adults being adopted into families. Caesar, some of the, the Roman emperors.
1: Actually, quite a, almost the majority of them, were adopted, ironically.
0: Were adopted as adults. Yeah. And taken into a family. And that's Paul's picture, right? Of the ruler of all creation taking us and bringing him into his family and making us rulers. And making us heirs and co-heirs with Christ, as scripture says. Yeah. So that's a different look of adoption, they're not dissimilar, but they're not similar. They're not uh, exactly the same, I guess is what I should yeah. say. The adoption that most people are dealing with today is not the adoption that Paul is talking about and as a spiritual thing yeah. from an earthly example in the Roman culture. It is not completely transferable. We need to
1: understand that. And, and that is a very big thing. And that right there, is probably one of the main reasons that adoptees leave the church, because between their pain getting ignored and the same thing I wrestled with, which was God being good, but God also allowing this, you also have a whole bunch of people going, oh, well, well, we're all adopted, because we all, you know, God adopted us, and that's the same thing, and, it, and it's not. And, you know, like, part of why I'm even willing to have this conversation is because it breaks my heart. That my brothers and sisters, 6 to 7 million adult adoptees you know, in the United States, so many of them want nothing to do with God and it has a lot to do with how the Big C Church has talked about adoption, about how we've been treated and how we've been responded to. And that breaks my heart. Like, God loves these people. I love them. I'm in these two worlds. I'm both a Christian and a Christ follower, but I am also an adoptee, and I wasn't given a choice on that one, whereas I was given a choice whether or not I was going to follow God. But I have to think that there's a lot of reconciliation that needs to happen between the church and adoptees who've been so wounded by the church, and birth moms too, for that matter, where they want nothing to do with us, and that has to break God's heart.
0: And yet he never stops pursuing each and every one of them.
1: Very just true. Like
0: he did for you. Yeah. And this, so in this, the big thing for me is this is a story of hope. And what I would love for you to do is talk mm-hmm. about uh, in, the, in more recent years how God has continued to pursue you and bring about healing in this area. like what are some some stories that you've uh, of God's healing power you've experienced even in the last few years, because <laughs> it continues. This is a journey. This yeah. The uh, early uh, stories of years ago still continue.
1: Well, you know, it's funny, because I was thinking back to this recently, but one of the biggest healing yeah. things that God did was bring me to Elevate, or at least that's what started it, and the friendship, our, French, community our church community, and the, the instant friendship that you and I wound up forming, which uh, for anyone who have known me before, they'd generally be a little shocked since I'm slow to, generally speaking, slow to trust and slow to open up. Hmm. Ask my friend from when I was 18. (laughs) It only took me six or eight years to actually open up to him on things that actually mattered, whereas you and I hit it off a lot quicker than that, which I said was a God thing for sure. But I think just being able to get to share my story with you and get to process it, And start looking for where God was in the middle of it has been such a big blessing. Mm. And and that's that's a huge thing for anyone who's had any kind of wounding, adopted or otherwise. Mm. To feel like you have someone who, even if they don't completely understand, is willing to hear you and isn't going to shut you down or tell you you're crazy or you should just get over it. That is such a big deal. That is such a big part of healing because otherwise when you get shut down, you hide it. And then you don't get healing from it. You can't get healed from something that you won't acknowledge exists. And if you've been shut down enough, why would you ever acknowledge it? So that has been such a huge thing, you know, just having that safe space. Um, Reg- and
0: regularly. And regularly. Because we meet every couple weeks.
1: Yeah, that is, that is such a huge thing. You know, so that that's been a big thing because it's allowed me to open up not just to you, but then I've seen myself opening up to other people, um, like some new friends that I've made in the last year. And I was even thinking about like this last Sunday when we were at house church and I wound up having two different conversations with two totally different people and being extremely vulnerable and honest you know, about the impact adoption has had on my life which that never would have happened, you know, a few years ago or even a year ago.
0: Right, yeah, I mean, you've been to house church, what, like three times? Uh,
1: that was the third time, Yeah. It was Sunday.
0: And you're already talking to people there about, two different people about that. That's pretty amazing.
1: That That is definitely a God thing, for sure, because normally that would cause all sorts of twitching and freaking out.
0: That's a healing. That shows healing. It shows what having one or two relationships that are safe can do. The power of those relationships, those kind of relationships, how they can promote healing yeah. and courage.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely been a big thing, especially because as understanding as you've been, you also haven't let me get away with still claiming lies about myself mm-hmm. or things that have not been true that I've been believing uh, it's like that Josh Reebok quote that I sent you forever ago. A true friend is not the one that, you know, just lets you be yourself, but it's the one who will die to keep you from being anyone other than who you were created to be. Because, you know, there's plenty of people who are more than content to kind of just let you coast, but it it does take a real friend to go, hey, I'm not so sure that what you're believing here is the truth, and let's pray about it, and like let's look at what God actually says about this scenario. So what are some things that have been broken off
0: <laughs> that uh, the lies that you once believed?
1: Well, I know one of the ones we broke off was burden. Uh, to no longer feel like my just my very presence is a burden is is a huge weight to be lifted off because that's part of why you wind up not being honest and vulnerable with people is because you feel like what you're really experiencing inside is too much. Because, you know, being left is one of adoptee's biggest fears. Because if you can get left for just the simple act of being born, what happens if there's really something going on? And you're
0: really speaking to, I think, a lot of people, you know, who may not be able to relate to adoption, but they can sure relate to being abandoned.
1: Yeah, that has definitely been the promise of God I've held on to the most. That was probably one of the very first verses that went through my head, even before I realized it was God, was, I will never leave you or forsake you. That became that mantra in my head that I couldn't shut up (laughs) about it. No matter when I was crying out, it was, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I have seen that for sure. Across
0: all these years.
1: I have seen God not abandon me. You know, you go on sabbatical and all of a sudden uh, this lady who I'd kind of had a friendship with but not really calls me up and is like, hey, do you want to go for a walk? And that becomes an almost weekly ritual talk about God's faithfulness in the middle of that, to to bring new friends in, in a season where I was extremely alone, especially because for the first two months of COVID, uh, I didn't work. And you were on sabbatical. Yeah, was so for three months and two of those three months, I was essentially home with nothing to do. There's too many opportunities for Satan to go, look, you're all alone again. See? Told you. But it was cool how like God just was like, Nope, nope, here you go. Hmm. Here's a friend, here's someone you can trust, here's someone who already had friends who were adopted who you don't have to explain again. Why adoption isn't all rainbows and unicorns, but that there's hard parts too. Mm. I mean, know, yeah, and that that was a really big blessing. And you know, I, you know, she was able to share with me, and I was able to share with her, and it became this growing moment of, mm. oh, here's someone else who's safe. Look at that gift. Mm. Have there been things that happen in my life that were hard and painful? Yeah, definitely. That free will thing of other people. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, I still want my own, so I guess everyone else has to keep theirs, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, I, I see it in even in doing this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is huge. If you had told me I was going to do this a year ago or, say, even possibly six months ago, I would have said you were crazy. Not only would I have said you were crazy, I probably would start running. <laughs> because... It's not, my nature is to self-protect. That that has been my habit.
0: Yeah, that's all of us. That's all <laughs> oh, of us. That's, that, that's, that's all of
1: us to a point, but um, <clears throat> I had made a fine art of it. <laughs> I, I was well-skilled in pretending everything was fine and only sharing as much as I thought wouldn't get me left behind.
0: Hmm. Is there anything else that comes to mind when you think of how God has shown you his faithfulness?
1: I think probably one of the other ones has just been s- slowly getting to see him as my dad and what that really looks like because that was that was a huge lie I was believing was that how, how was I supposed to understand his love and experience his love when it didn't match up with any of my family experiences. And then I mean, it was right there going, see, you can't possibly really know what this feels like to be fully loved because you've never experienced it.
0: But now you have.
1: Yeah. Through the
0: people that you've already mentioned, through your circumstances that you've already mentioned, like at that moment at the fence. Yeah,
1: that was a moment that I will never forget.
0: As we're wrapping this thing up, <laughs> is there any other one that was pretty profound where you saw your the Holy Father who is not inconsistent, but completely consistent to never leave you nor abandon you or forsake you is there any other memory that stands out to you
1: well it's funny because it's talking about the wrestling with god thing i was a youth pastor and uh, the church decided they were going in a different direction it was one of those things where you know losing a job sucks losing a ministry also sucks but I was also told that it would be better if I didn't come back to the church. And
0: that was your
1: family. And that was my family. That had been my family since I was 10, and I was 28. Wow. So for 18 years of my life, that had been my family. And I remember I was so devastated. I mean, I cried in front of the guy who was firing me, which, uh, for anyone who knows me well, that takes being really upset. Mm. And in the middle of all that, this other friend of mine, who I wasn't really friends with at that point, so we were acquaintances, but he reached out. He said, hey, we want to take you to lunch. And, you know, they take me to lunch, and they pay, and we're talking, and they're like, hey, you know, he's like, I know exactly what you're going through. I was let go from a church, and it devastated me. And he's like, he's like, Kim, I know you. I'm sitting there going, I'm like, mm, we've, like, hung out for, like, an hour (laughs) he's like he's like I know you I know the amazing heart you have for these kids and I know how much you love God and he's like we're talking about starting a church plant and we would love to have you Mm. he's like like we want to hang out we want to get to know you better and like we're having a planning meeting like we're not even at the stage where we're actually having services yet but we want you there. And if, if working with these kids is still something you want, like we'll make that happen. My brother-in-law has a house, and he's already said that he'll like open it up for you to have youth group there. Mm. So in the middle of all this mess where it feels like I just lost all the family you know, that I'd really known for a good chunk of my life, and none of them reached out, which was a whole other <laughs> wounding, painful experience, this guy who I didn't really know was just like, We want you. Like, we see you. We see what you're all about, and we believe in what you're doing. God's like, See, I, I know you just lost this, but look, here I'm providing another step and another family. Like, I think it was only like a week after I got fired. Wow. I was like, I don't have to go looking for another church family. I mean, <sighs> it just handed to you. it it was, it was literally just handed to me and yeah it only lasted two and a half years but but you know those friendships and the amount of healing that went on because he reached out I got to see those kids that I had from 7th grade 6th 7th grade I got to see them graduate high school and be there for their high school graduation you know I got to keep my promise to them because I'd promised them that if it was possible I'd be there until they graduated you know, and I can't say everything worked out perfectly in the middle of that, but it was that moment of like, God's like, see, look, I've still got you. I'm not leaving you alone to deal with this. And ironically enough, my sister was helping you with your church plant in the middle of all of that, about nine months before mine ended. And just so happened that you guys needed a photographer.
0: For uh, opening day.
1: For opening day and couldn't afford to pay anyone. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah, and my sister decided to volunteer me and then asked me. <laughs> Knowing at that point I probably wasn't going to say no because it would be awkward. And, you know, I walked in the door of the, the junior high mm-hmm. cafeteria and this weird guy comes up, very enthusiastic. I wonder who that is. And walks over and gives me this big old hug, even though I've never met him and have no idea what his name is, even. And this
0: is one before
1: COVID. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I would hope. And it's like, oh, we're so happy to have you here. Like, welcome. Thank you so much for coming and taking pictures. Mind you, internally, I've been freaking out this entire time going, ah, oh, what am I doing here? My camera's not that great. And what if the pictures suck? And my list was going on and on and all the reasons I should ditch out the door. But, you know, and then this guy comes over and hugs and uh, turns out it was Kurt. You know, and it was the funniest thing. Anyone who knows me knows I'm extremely loyal. Loyal is pretty high up there. And I remember running around taking pictures and listening to the sermon and listening to the worship and going, God Kind of wish I wasn't at the church plant I'm at, 'cause I'd really like—I really like this one. There's something that just feels like home and feels right. But you're gonna have to take care of that because you haven't given me the all clear to leave what I'm doing. And nine months I got a, got the hey, we're taking a break <laughs> at the church plant, so I came back, <laughs> and then you scared me off. But that wasn't totally you. I, I was just too burned out at that point. But you know, another six months after that, and what I call the the cheating of the Jake of the fleece being laid out. <laughs> I, I I'm remembering this because it's literally um, in what I was writing. I was just writing all this down recently. I'd uh, you know I'd been avoiding everyone. And I was just kind of occasionally listening to podcasts, and I wasn't in a very good place. And we had our more than a song citywide worship event. And I was running the slide projector in, and I saw you come in, I saw you sit down, you weren't anywhere close to me. I was like, okay God, if you want me to go back to Elevate, and you want me to be a part of this, then without me having to do anything, you have to have him come over and start talking to me, and then give me a hug but in what I've come to know as typical Kurt fashion. Within a minute of everything ending, you're making your way over to me and going, Kim, how are you? How's it going? Big hug. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can't argue with this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the next, that was a Saturday night that showed up the next morning and didn't leave.
0: He mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just gave me, gave us even more stories of God's faithfulness even when other people weren't faithful, even when you weren't faithful necessarily. God remains faithful in all of the ups and downs and the inconsistencies and these peaks and valleys. The symphonic life, and God is faithful in the in the, on the peaks and in the valleys. The peaks and valleys happen because of the inconsistency of our experiences and the inconsistency of people, even the people closest to us. God is holy. Is different. Yep. And he is a faithful father. And he is good <laughs> and all powerful. And that's the story you just explained.
1: Yeah. That's why I love that quote so much, the one that I will continue to quote forever. Say it again. <laughs> uh, if it's not good, God's not done yet. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly been my story. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the whole being thankful in all circumstances. That's a key word, in. Mm hmm. I mean you're thankful for the pain, but you're thankful in the pain that God is always there and He is always bringing His healing touch. We simply have to open our hands and give it over to Him and then receive His healing.
0: Well, in that regard, Kim, <laughs> I think that there's people who are listening to this that relate to your story. Would you mind praying for them to receive? all that God has
1: for them in their peaks and valleys. Yeah, let's go for it. Dad, thank you that even when we don't see it and even when we don't understand you, you are good. And not only are you good, but you are good to us. And you are good at being God. Dad, it can be way too easy to get so focused on our pain and trying to avoid it that we don't run to you when we should thank you that you are trustworthy and that you are the safest one we could ever wrestle with we are not a burden to you and you delight in us turning to you you delight in bringing healing to us that is who you are and we get to trust your heart for us which is always for our good And yeah, Dad, sometimes our circumstances aren't good and we all have wounds and we all have hurts and most of them are caused by the free will of others in our lives. But We get to choose what we do with those hurts. We get to choose whether we stay a victim or whether we let you in to heal us. Dad, for my brothers and sisters who are listening to this, I ask that you would give them the courage to let you in. And let your perfect love drive out whatever fears keeping them back from turning everything over to you. You are good. And you are our healer. You are the best dad we could ever ask for. And you are infinitely greater than anything we can imagine. I just ask that you would bring your true peace and your true healing to our lives. And show up in new in different ways this week, in ways that we can't help but go, oh, that was you, God, in those moments. Thank you for the gift of your presence and the gift that we get to call you Abba, Father. Mm -hmm. I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Kim, I even begin to thank you for being just open, honest, and vulnerable. That in itself, what you shared is a testimony the evidence of everything you've shared, the truth of it. So, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.